Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. The Sixth Commandment, Do Not Murder. On its face, this command seems fundamental, universal, obvious, a given, and without debate. We invite you to stay tuned to the Full Dig Podcast, where pastors Bruce Johnson and Kirk Sexton discuss how complicated the interpretation of the Sixth Commandment can be. You will discover the simplicity of the Sixth Commandment quickly fades as we begin to look at how far-reaching this commandment is. Hi, I'm your host, Kirk Sexton of the Full Dig Podcast, and I'm with my good friend and colleague, Bruce Johnson. Good to be with you, Kirk. I hope you're having a good day this Valentine's Day as we're recording this podcast. Today we're dealing with the idea of murder. You would think that this would be an easy commandment. It's a, it's, I think this is a short one, right? I mean, I didn't murder anybody. You didn't murder anybody. I did not murder anybody. I would have remembered something like that. <laughs> yes. And yet it's more complicated than that. It is. And so maybe it isn't going to be as short as we'd hoped. You know, and listening to Pastor Steve's sermon yesterday, I, I heard it and then I thought, gosh, I could hear him talk about it for another two hours or hear us talk, you know, together talk about it for another two hours. It really gets into the heart of, it's not just our actions, but our intentions, what's in our heart mm. that God is concerned about. It's uh, very, very important in our relationships too. So I think we're going to find uh, much to talk about today. Yes, not two hours, but much to talk about. Right. And there will be much that we probably do not talk about. Well, let's get into what we are going to talk about okay, here. Good. <laughs> so if you look at the uh, two versions of the Ten Commandments, the one from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, and then Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17, it's the exact same language, you shall not murder. And the older English translations, instead of you shall not murder, have you shall not kill or thou shalt not kill. Mm-hmm. And that's led to a lot of confusion. I mean, what does the Bible mean when it says murder? And so you can look at the Hebrew words that are used for that. There's a particular Hebrew word in this commandment, ratzach, which means murder or to break into pieces. Um, And that's different from other Hebrew words that are more specific about uh, uh, killing in general Mm. rather than murder. There's a couple of them. Uh, Harag is the word that's used for kill in, in modern Hebrew and, and it appears in uh, biblical Hebrew as well. Mm. And then there's another word that means uh, to strike or to kill or to wound, and that's naha. And you have um, when they mean intentional killing, uh, that's when you use the verb that's here in the commandment, you shall not murder. But of uh, other killings, you know, uh, killing during a war, or somebody being executed by the state, you don't have that uh, same word used. So it seems to be uh, clearly intended about uh, something that's like a one-on-one, you know, an act of anger, an act of malice, uh, taking law into your own hands. Mm. It gets a little complicated when you have situations that we would call manslaughter. You know, what happens here? Some accident, a tragic accident happens and you... Uh, did not intend to do anyone harm, but you end up killing somebody. Or mm. out in the field and you raise an axe, chop a tree, and the axe head flies off and hits somebody's head and they die. Well, mm. what do you do? Right. So for that kind of situation, uh, uh, you have uh, both of these words, ratzach, meaning to murder, and naha, meaning to strike, uh, used in the same uh, way. They, they began to have these situations where here's what you do. See, that happens. Uh, you would um, run as fast as you can to a city's a refuge. And these were cities that were set up. They were uh, particular cities that were inhabited by people that belonged to the tribe of Levi. And there were six of these, uh, three on each side of the Jordan. And this would be a place where you would be safe from anybody that's trying to kill you back for, because you killed their brother or sister or what have you. And you'd stay there until the death of the high priest, and then everything would be over. So if they catch you on the way to um, a city of refuge, 
uh, your toast. But if you made it there, you, you would not be uh, harmed. So at least as a way to say, well, there's times where an individual would, would do something unintentionally, and there's some uh, justice metered out and some mercy with that. I remember the first time I was in one of those cities, uh, Shechem is one of the six biblical cities of refuge, and I was just so amazed to say, this is what the Bible is talking about in those rare situations. So that's a pretty deep dive into the language and, and uh, all of that. But I think it's better for us to think about uh, what Jesus said mm. in his explanation of this commandment. And that's what Pastor Steve focused on, really the sort of Jesus saying, you've heard it said, and uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, correct? That's right. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the Ten Commandments, or at least some of the Ten Commandments, and he makes them more difficult to keep because he says it's not just what we do, but the intention of our hearts. Mm -hmm. As you go through the Ten Commandments, one through ten, it's the last one that is the first to begin talking about the intentions of our heart, the, the commandment, don't covet. Mm -hmm. uh, but Jesus says, no, God is concerned about the intentions of our heart way before we get to commandment number ten. Mm. Uh, here, uh, and, and this is quoting from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, racha, meaning empty-headed, hmm is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, uh, note that the, Jesus puts the burden on people that realize, oh, somebody's bothered about something I've done. It's not the person that's bothered, but you find out somebody's bothered about something you've done. Mm -hmm. Leave your gift there at the altar, in front of the altar, go and be first reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle the matter quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. So on your way to court, if you can settle, that might be better for you than to Put your hands in the hands of the judge. That is uh, good legal advice, I've, uh, I am told. <laughs> uh, so, so that means the commandment about murder is something that applies to all of us. It's, it's not just our acts, but what's in our heart. Mm -hmm. Have we let anger or resentment, animosity, grudges run amok in our lives? Are they uh, destroying us from the inside? Mm -hmm. And God is concerned about those things, too. Well, in this age of uh, division, political division, and social media, and 24-hour news cycles, it's quite easily or easy to fall into calling one an idiot or a fool. We do live in the age of rage. Mm. We are encouraged to be outraged all the time uh, because that's good for business not not good for our souls but good for business it, it sells advertising when mm. uh, people you know click on a story because they're outraged about that but i think we need to be discerning in that some of that we have to listen and say oh that's clickbait right that, right you know they'll have a headline that they want you to click on uh, especially when you're on the World Wide web to get you to go to that site so that they can receive your eyeballs and get revenue for their advertisement. Yeah, it's a real strange cycle that's been created uh, by business in the 21st century. Mm. And, and even the, on the subject of anger, we have that good advice from the book of James. I think Pastor Steve mentioned this in his sermon as well. Uh, this is James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all 
moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I thought he might have alluded too to Matthew 18 too on how to resolve conflict among brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. Go to that person directly. And I remember vividly, and I've used it many times in my counseling situations, your teaching. I don't know where you got it, but teaching I got on... it from the School of Hard Knocks, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're talking about my teaching about what is healthy communication. What is healthy communication? So, so do you remember what healthy communication is? Kirk? I do. It is direct. It's two-way, and it's usually uplifting. Exactly, yeah. And uh, I think that's a good rule of thumb for us uh, in our lives and, and certainly uh, something that I hope that you're encouraging me in um, my dealings with people, and I'm trying to encourage you in your dealings with people. Let's be uh, direct, uh, you know, not talk to a third party. You know, if you're angry about something that Joe did, don't talk to Sally about it. that. Talk to Joe directly. Uh, let it be um, two-way, that is, say your piece and then stop, let the other person respond, and then it be uplifting. You don't say, I can't believe what you're doing, Joe. Rather, <laughs> rather say... <laughs> Hey, Joe, you know, something you said or something you did, you know, it made me feel um, strange or upset or, you know, I just I couldn't quite understand what, what is behind that act or uh, those words. You know, a phrase in a way that is um, letting you have an opportunity to continue the conversation. Language that communicates reconciliation. I want to reconcile to you. I want to be... I want to resolve this conflict between us. I think if you do one and two, I think the end result in my life has been always uplifting. Yeah. And uh, so that's a, that's a good, good rule of thumb. James uh, warns against uh, how quickly our anger can become a burning fire of sin. You know? Right. And uh, uses the, that uh, description like a wildfire. Right. The tongue, control. the tongue especially, right? So being slow to speak is a good thing. Um, maybe to take a pause. I've heard some people talk about counting to certain numbers and those probably all good practices. Yeah, there are techniques of that. You see that when uh, people are interviewed on TV and radio, they might use a phrase like, Oh, that's an important question. And they say that's an important question because they're thinking in their minds, I don't know how to answer this. Let me have a few seconds to formulate my answer. So it's a very good question, or thank you for that question. Um, oh, that's, that's something that's important to consider, and then that gives you a little bit of time to formulate your answer. So how can this have any relevance to archaeology? <laughs> Just, I don't know how we're going to, we're not going to be dig up some bodies and see some wounds, or are we? Or? Uh, I have been on an archaeological dig where we've encountered human remains, and we had to deal with that, and we brought in a forensic expert to do that. Uh, so uh, let me share two things about archaeology uh, that may help with this, uh, at least give a background. So uh, in the Near East, when you do an archaeological dig, uh, you're going down to different layers because uh, way back until the Persian period, they would build, uh, if you're doing a renovation, you'd build on top of the previous house that was there, the previous building, the previous structure. And so you had multiple layers that would continue. And it becomes a, a tell, right? A tell, right, a, a mound of ruins. And as you go down these different layers, sometimes you come across a layer that's darker than what's uh, on top of it or beneath it. And we call that a burn layer because usually it's uh, oh, a mixture. Fire. Yeah, fires happen usually because a city was destroyed mm. by an invading army. So those burn layers, um, you know, in the, such a military conquest, you know, a lot of death mm -hmm. happens. But it's also important to or significant because you can date different events. For instance, we find burn layers in Jerusalem in 586 BC when the Babylonians conquered the city. Mm. We find a burn layer in 7080 when the Romans conquered the city. And there is a, a museum now. Uh, we uncovered a house from the first century CE. The museum is now called the Burned House, Burnt House, because 
uh, it was under uh, under these layers when they found um, the burnt layer. When the burning happened, a second story house, uh, the first story was preserved because the second story fell on top of it mm. in the fire. Interesting. And so when the archaeologists looked at that beginning in the 1960s, they found it a lot preserved from the first floor of this house. Mm. And in the room we think was the kitchen, or what appears to be the kitchen, we found um, the forearm of a woman, mm. uh, or was about 30, who died there. Uh, and so you can say something about... Uh, uh, the tragedy of human loss, people that have been killed in conflict like that. So that's kind of a sad story mm-hmm. um, from archaeology. So I'll give you something that's a happier story. So this is uh, recently they used the techniques of 21st century forensics, which is how do you analyze a crime scene, to understand how literate people were in the biblical period. Uh, there's quite a discussion about this. So mm. we have these letters from Arad, which is a Jewish fortress uh, in the time of the kings and queens of Israel and Judah, in the Negev desert, Arad is there. And we have these letters from that Jewish outpost, military outpost. And they were all written on a piece of pottery, and these kind of uh, letters on a piece of pottery are called ostraca. Mm. So we have a number of these ostraca. So they, somebody's thinking, hmm, well, how many people are involved in writing these letters? They, they sign them, but is it the person that's, uh, whose name is in the letter? Did they write it? Was it all one scribe there? What happened? So uh, they brought in a forensic uh, person that usually looks at crime scenes, and they asked this person, well, can you tell me how many people are involved in uh, writing these letters? And so they you know, did the usual thing. The person didn't understand the old Hebrew script they had become familiar with that, but mm-hmm. did the regular thing that they're used to doing. And they found out of 18 different letters, 12 different people had written them, which means the, the number of people who were able to read and write was far higher than what scholars had previously thought. Mm. Uh, they had uh, people of different ranks in this um, military outpost, which in the biblical period had maybe 20 or 30 people. You had quite a few that... Uh, were able to read and write, people of uh, uh, different military positions uh, at the outpost, even the quartermaster and his deputy are all literate. So it's really expanded uh, that sense of ancient people and what they were able to do. And this is ancient Hebrew. Ancient Hebrew, yeah. Ancient Hebrew is called Paleo-Hebrew, paleography, uh, study of what's old. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's... That's really interesting. You did a full dig on that one. I did a full dig. I'm not sure that helps us understand the commandment any better, but it is an example of what you do with uh, people that look at murders mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. using that technique in archaeology. Well, we've each week have looked at our eco-essential tenets to see how uh, we've used those as a way of uh, self-examination. Right, and the equal essential tenets have uh, nine or ten parts to that, which break down in different categories. And the last of these is all about using the Ten Commandments as a guide to reflect on our lives, to try to become uh, better disciples of Jesus, to try to uh, love God through our actions more and more. And so when it comes to the Sixth Commandment, Mm -hmm. it says, eradicate a spirit of anger, resentment, callousness, violence, or bitterness, and instead cultivate a spirit of gentleness, kindness, peace, and love. Recognize and honor the image of God in every human being from conception to natural death. It's a very good summary. And you see it has the influence of what Jesus is saying in the Ten Commandments and later Jesus' advice in uh, Matthew 18, was it, that you were talking about, Kirk, Mm -hmm. about... uh, uh, conferring with people directly, mm-hmm. healthy communication, mm-hmm. and the advice of the book of James uh, to watch what we say. It's mm. very good. And we've also looked at the Heider- Heidelberg Catechism each week. Um, this week our question is, question 105, what does God require in the Sixth Commandment? 
And the answer there is that I, not, that I am not to abuse, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor with thought, word, gesture, or deed, whether by myself or through another. But I must lay aside all desire for revenge. I must not harm myself or willfully expose myself to danger. That is why the authorities are armed with the means to prevent murder. I think that speaks volumes about our, when we're injured, we don't seek to just get even. I mean, we want, you know, instead of an eye for an eye, we'll go eye for two eyes, you know. Right? Exactly. Um, so there's no limits to um, to our, our, our seeking revenge. So, well, well, we get angry. You know, we've yeah. all been angry. We've all uh, been there where we uh, just, uh, we don't pause. We just give in to the anger. We give in to the moment. And we say things that later we have to apologize for, or later we should apologize for at least. So it, it's good counsel to, you know, just think of it comprehensively. Well, and I think Pastor Steve did a good job of reminding us that Calvin thought we should look at the Ten Commandments before worship every Sunday as a way of self-examination to recognize our our fallenness, our sinfulness, our, our, our tendency to break every one of them. It certainly prepare us for the prayer of confession in the worship service. And I always say that that's one of the best things that we do in Presbyterian worship is right up front we, we come out and we say, we've fallen short. We're all imperfect. Yeah. Uh, Lord, forgive us again. And then we're ready to say, okay, We've got that done. What does God have for us to learn? Uh, how can we praise him better mm. this day? Yeah. The, the Heidelberg has some more. Question 106, I thought, is also good because it speaks to the far-reaching nature of this uh, commandment. It goes beyond killing. Question 106 says, but does this commandment speak only of killing? And the answer is, in forbidding murder, God means to teach us that he abhors the root of murder, which is envy, hatred, anger, and the desire for revenge, and that he regards all of these as hidden murder. Mm. That's an unusual phrase, hidden murder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So it's talking about the severity of our intentions, how they are as corrupting as as actions would be. Wrong intentions can be as corrupting as uh, wrong actions but also echoes something that we see in a part of the Ten Commandments that we've not talked about before, and that is the instructions in Deuteronomy for when they enter the Promised Land, when they have entered the Promised Land, when they have conquered territory, when they're about ready to settle down. Uh, God says through Moses, now don't do it right away. First you have to go to these two mountains, Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim, and there you need to have this antiphonal, uh, back and forth mm. about these are the curses and everybody says amen and these are the blessings and everybody says amen mm. uh, in terms of the covenant you're, you're making the covenant we will keep the covenant with God again we will do what is right and you expect the things that they're told to do about the curses about we will not do these things that it would be some replay of the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. and it is but it uses different language uh, as they make that covenant on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim so uh, the curses uh, that are, are to be uttered from Mount Ebal and the blessings from Mount Gerizim among the curses is, uh, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 24, cursed is anyone who kills their neighbor secretly. Again, mm-hmm. that you know, secret murder. Mm-hmm. And then everybody says amen. And then cursed is anyone who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person. People say amen. Mm. So next week we'll look at the archaeology of Mount Ebal, Mount Mm. Gerizim, and uh, what that says to us. And also what happens when you get to the seventh commandment, which is really expanded. So notice the sixth commandment in the Ebal and Gerizim instructions, which the people did after they conquered the promised land as they're about to settle. They go and do the ceremony. Mm. And uh, the commandment not to kill is expanded. Interesting. Don't kill somebody. Don't do it in secret. Don't take a bribe to kill an innocent person. Mm. Interesting. And then question 107, is it enough then 
if we do not kill our neighbor in any of these ways? Again, this is from the Heidelberg Catechism, and the answer there is no. For when God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he requires us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards them, to prevent injury to them as much as we can, also to do good to our enemies. Not just forgiving neighbor or forgiving enemy. Um, it's loving enemy. That is kicking it up a notch. It is. It, it's so much easier to love our friends, to love people who are kind to us, but to love people who are ornery, people that uh, have tried to defraud us, people who are enemies in different ways. That, that's a heavier lift. Mm. And yet that's part of this whole commandment, do not murder, mm. uh, as we think about it and as Jesus and has described and the rest of the New Testament has described. So we also looked at the larger catechism. We've looked at the shorter and the larger, and we are, the larger definitely has some far-reaching implications for us in our love of neighbor and love of enemy. Yes, again, the Westminster Larger Catechism was written for parents or adults rather than children. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the question is, what are the duties required in the Sixth Commandment? And the answer is, the duties required in the Sixth Commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away of the life of any. By just defense against violence, patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, a sober use of meat, drink, medicine, sleep, labor, and recreation, by charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior, forbearance, readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing and forgiving of injuries, and returning good for evil, comforting and securing the distressed, and protecting and defending the innocent. So that's, that's really far-reaching. Right. It's talking about a quality of life, who we should be, what our character should be. Right. It's, um, it's life and health is mentioned here. Um, I, th I thought it was interesting, the sober use of meat and drink, right? Yes. Um, that, you know, being good stewards of our bodies and of our health is called for in this commandment. Right. Uh, it goes on the, the sober use of sleep and labor and recreation. You know, there's times where you need to get rest. There's times when you need to lay aside work and there's time you need to take up work. We need to hit that snooze button, Bruce. There's a snooze button? <laughs> I need to learn about such things. And then um, question 136 is, um, what are the sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? And again, the answer here is really about the character, the, who we will be, what kind of people we should be. So the answer is, the sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment are all taking away the life of ourselves or of others, except in case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. Uh, make the distinction between murder mm -hmm. and uh, killing that happens in prescribed lawful ways because of extreme circumstances. Mm -hmm. The neglecting or withdrawing the lawful or necessary means of preservation of life. Sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire for revenge, all ex excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreation, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever else tends to the destruction of the life of any. So that brings up an interesting question, Bruce. Yes. What is lawful war? Should Christians be involved in either the military or... You know, how should we respond to our nation going to war with another nation? 
Right, and there's a grand tradition about what constitutes lawful war and what's uh, unlawful use of military force. St. Augustine um, gave the classical definitions of uh, just war, but we can certainly think of instances of uh, a war that's not been done in a just way where the reasons for going to war were invented or it became you know, something of uh, grabbing territory for power. I think you know, that's the, the hullabaloo about Ukraine at the moment. Uh, the Soviet Union is worried that Ukraine will become part of NATO, and uh, NATO is worried that uh, the Soviet Union, or excuse me, Russia, no hmm. more Soviet Union, but Russia will invade uh, and begin to um, expand their influence by military conquest, hmm. which we haven't seen uh, in uh, Europe. Mm. very much since World War II. So um, you know, a very tense time, but it's all about you know what is right and different perspectives of what is right in a just war. And Jesus, you, we have the story where the centurion comes to Jesus, he has a, a child that is sick, mm -hmm. and asks Jesus to heal, heal, and the centurion says, I, I to him a person under authority. You know, you don't have to come to my house, you just say the word and I know it will be done. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, in interacting with the centurion, doesn't ask him to, okay, well, you got to leave what you're doing. No, no more soldiers if you're going to follow me. Right, right. And the same thing happens in the book of Acts when um, uh, is it, uh, Cornelius, Peter goes to, wasn't he a military officer or a retired military officer? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, the, of the requirements for Gentiles who become Christians, the requirement is not, well, leave your um, Christian profession. And she, uh, uh, we had the story that Steve shared uh, in a sermon about St. Valentine yes. and agreeing to perform marriages for Roman soldiers mm -hmm. when the um, emperor said, no more marriages, uh, it makes for fewer recruits right. in the military. We've got to clear that up. I've always been interested, you know, because of these, these first four commandments were kind of our relationship with God and and now we're getting into this our relationship with neighbor but how does the relationship with God matter in these other commandments so oh right <clears throat> i found this pretty good a summary um and i'm not sure uh, who wrote this uh, i don't know if this if this is in that the book that I've been reading called Doing Right by David Gill. And uh, he says, The first commandment teaches me that the enemy who I may wish dead is not contemptible, nothing but rather a unique, irreplaceable creation of God. And the following, the second commandment, I cannot reduce my enemy to a fixed image or stereotypes. Instead, I need to imagine how my enemy could conceivably grow and change into something different or something better. So if we kill someone, Bruce, all opportunities for growth and redemption, reconciliation, are ended. There's no more hope once the person is dead. And if we write people off. Exactly. Uh, we cut ourselves off from the possibility of reconciliation. And then he says, I learned from the third commandment that I need to respect my enemy by knowing my enemy's name and by speaking to him or her. That's what we talked about. We have something against somebody. We go to them directly and we, we share how we've been offended and we seek reconciliation. Just like we honor God's name, we honor the God, we honor our enemies' names by speaking it and uh, treating them as a person who is also made in the image of God, mm -hmm. right? He says, I take the fourth commandment to heart. I will attempt to spend some quality time with my enemy to work for her or him, to reconcile with somebody as to probably spend some time with them. You know, I think understanding someone else's perspective is really hard to do in a world of 24-hour uh, news cycles and social media, right? It is. And then he says, the fifth commandment reminds me to honor and love my enemy as a possible agent of God in my life or someone else's. Because 
even your harshest critics are right about something, that, you know, something that we can learn from people that get angry with us. Uh, they may have some points for us to consider some ways that we can be, become better. Uh, maybe they haven't been expressed in the best way, uh, certainly not in the friendliest way, uh, but they may have things that can help us be better uh, as, as we try to follow Jesus. He says, so if I live out these first five commandments, I'll arrive at a place where it's inconceivable to murder my enemy, where I observe the sixth commandment because I cannot do otherwise. So commandments one through five are a setup for commandment number six. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But I think it's really interesting that these connections he made to the first five commandments to this sixth one. So it's they, worth pondering. Yeah. Well, they don't stand alone. I mean, none of these do. They all have implications. But, you know, a lot of these issues we face in our world today are, are very complex. Pastor Steve talked a little bit about, you know, what about abortion? Mm-hmm. You know, what about right to life? Mm-hmm. In The Essential Tenets, it talks about the importance of human life from conception to natural death. Mm. And that's very challenging. Now, it doesn't use the term pro-life. Uh, Pastor Steve mentioned that's a term that's been so banding about in political circles, it's it's almost unhelpful to mm-hmm. talk about it. Right. So that's why it talks about uh, honoring people. It's a very complex issue, even, um, you know, because we want to honor the rights of people, but we also want to honor the rights of the unborn. I can argue on both sides, not I'm I'm very much pro-life myself, but there are circumstances I think where I think that I ho- I think the the other side of the pro-life argument comes from the man's uh, so men can procreate and then have no responsibility, and I and I think there's a reaction to that, and and that um, you know maybe there's some ways to make men have more responsibility. Uh, for um, offspring or pregnancies, um, but I know it's it's a very complex issue. It's a complex issue, and the, the essential tennis gives us the vectors of we're shooting for this. And just as we fail to to keep all of the commandments, when we fail in different ways, we come back to say, well, where do we want to be headed? Where is God pointing us? Mm-hmm. Let's figure that out, and let's. Let's get our lives back on that heading. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where I think Christians can work to the positive in these, you know, um, education and mm-hmm. uh, support. Um, I think like these, uh, this Hope Women's Center that is where the Midtown Church is, they're working with uh, people there and educating um, sexual education for for various people, I think is all good ways that Christians can be proactive and avoiding the the risk then, you know, if there's good education. You know, he had, I always talk about his area principle. Do you want right. to hear his area principle for this week? I would love to hear his area principle. He says, never do anything, area principle six, never do anything that threatens or harms the life and health of another person. Rather, regarding it as God's own creation, do whatever you can do or whatever you can to protect the person's life and health and to promote peace and reconciliation. I thought that was a really good summary of, the, of, this, of this commandment. So are we, if we fail to care for someone who is homeless, are we violating this commandment? Are we, if we're not feeding hungry people, are we are we are we failing to meet the the standards of this commandment? And of course, uh, Mountain View is involved in all of those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we involve when we involve ourselves with people, when we begin to care about people that have complex issues, it's messy business, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we we somebody that's homeless has more than one problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they have not only. Um, problem of not a place to stay, not adequate uh, resources to get food. 
They may be dealing with health issues, behavioral health, that is mental health issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they may be dealing with all sorts of uh, relationships that have been broken and are needing rec- of reconciliation. So the uh, guidance of the essential tenets to recognize and honor the image of God in every human being. Mm. Yeah, that's the vector we're on. Right. And you've talked about at the start of life at conception and, and issues um, related to that. We also need to think about the end of life. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, that brings up this idea of assisted suicide, mm-hmm. right? I mean, these are very complex issues. And before we get to that, sometimes people don't treat um, folks who are old well. Yeah, and we failed to mention that last week. We were, I had it in my notes, but I was going to kind of mention elder abuse because I've seen some cases of that in our, yeah, even in Scottsdale. Yeah, it's really tragic. Yes. Uh, a big um, problem in our society. Uh, that's why we have you know part of the state government here in Arizona that seeks to prevent elder abuse and has different uh, resources to help with that. Bruce, I got a tough question for you. Okay. And if you don't want to answer it, you can you can just say, let's not go there. Okay. What's, and what's and the I'll question? edit this out. What do you think a Christian's response should be to capital punishment? Well, um, we've talked about that just among the pastors at Mountain View, and, and we have a differences of opinion. You know, we have some of the pastors here, and we all love each other. We're all trying to... Mm study the scriptures together for some it's uh, capital punishment that's that doesn't seem to uh, be something that's a legitimate and for others we can see that as an effective deterrent mm-hmm. a just use of uh, the state's power i remember us talking about that i don't remember where i lined up on that <laughs> yeah it, it was just interesting to see here we all we, we talk together we pray together we work together and we've come down on different uh, mm-hmm. sides of that mm-hmm. so understanding there's that difference of opinion you know, we all say that we are committed to the phrase in the essential tenets to recognize and the honor the image of God in every human being from conception to natural death. Mm. What will it mean to recognize and honor that? Um, so that, that's a good um, thing to point out, Kirk, as we struggle with how are we going to keep all of the implications of the sixth commandment, uh, how are we going to follow what God is telling us, how can we order our lives in terms of, you know, that continual work of God's Spirit within us to do that. We may come down on on a certain side, and, you know, as we continue to look at Scripture, as we continue to pray, we may find our position shifting. But the vector that where we're headed mm-hmm. is the same. Yeah. yeah. I think of how challenging it must have been for Diedrich Bonhoeffer um, to be in his position and to have Adolf Hitler and to uh, participate in, in uh, trying to assassinate him. Um, that had to be a very ethical dilemma for him, especially when you were looking at uh, this commandment. Yes, uh, and it's the, what's the judicious use of force? And, and for those that don't know the story, Dieter Bonhoeffer had a very minor role in that. It was basically he used his ecumenical connections to try to find out from the Allies, hey, if um, a group in Germany was successful in assassinating Adolf Hitler, would you support the new German regime that would take over Mm -hmm. uh, in his place? And the Allies said to that question basically, well, it depends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and for that involvement, of course, Duke Bonhoeffer was uh, arrested. Uh, and then um, during the last days of the Third Reich, an order went out. There's some political prisoners that will be killed before the Allies can reach them. Mm. And Bonhoeffer was on that list. That's too bad, isn't yeah. it? What about suicide? Well, we've seen in these um, catechisms the concept of the commandment about not murdering include, includes not murdering yourself. Mm. Well, and we saw that also to care for ourselves, you know. Right. So, you know, we could look at some 
forms of obesity and overeating um, is probably a violation of that command, you know. Or when you, uh, you're going through a rough thing in life, you've suffered a loss, uh, or you're very distressed, to remember to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Remember to get up out of bed. Mm-hmm. Remember to brush your teeth. Remember to eat, even if you don't feel like eating, because mm-hmm. you know that that's going to be important. Remember to go out and get some exercise, mm-hmm. uh, because that's going to be important, even if you don't feel like that. Right. Um, try to take care of yourself. Well, my family has been impacted by suicide, so, yeah. you know, and I think, you know, many times people are pretty hurtful when it comes to, you know, this commandment in the, in the wake of it saying, you know, that was a sin and such, and it doesn't take into account the full, well, they don't know the story. They don't know the circumstances. They don't know the mental health of the person. Uh, those kinds of things, I think, have to be considered. Right, and we need to remember that you know God is the the judge. You know, God is the one making the commandments, and you know there are things that are above our pay grade. Mm. For sure. Yeah. Well, I know that we could probably talk about a number of other ethical dilemmas that this commandment. Like we said, we probably could go for a long time today. Probably we could. Tell us, Bruce, did you find a C.S. Lewis quote for us today? I did find a C.S. Lewis quote, and this is from the Screwtape Letters. And you'll remember, Kirk, that the Screwtape Letters, it's a satire where you're, uh, everything is kind of reversed. Instead of good news from a good source, it's diabolical news from an evil source. So mm-hmm. you have to kind of reverse that. So this is... Uh, senior devil talking to a junior devil about the best ways to tempt human beings. Mm -hmm. So he says in his uh, diabolical advice, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Yeah, that is um, um, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. That's Yeah, in other words, you, you don't have to beat a murderer to be in a really bad spot with God. Let's, let's, let's try to get a good path towards the light, towards what is good and right and what God has uh, commanded us. What does he mean by cards there? Is he talking about playing cards or gambling? Yeah, or? gambling, you know, oh. uh, doing, doing something where you, you're lying or, or cheating because of a gambling debt, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've also had a reformed, and I uh, had to go back to the John Calvin well. John Calvin well. What, what is John Calvin? What does Johnny Calvin tell us? He says, week? we are required faithfully to do what in us lies to defend the life of our neighbor, to promote whatever tends to his tranquility, to be vigilant in warding off harm, and when danger comes, to assist in removing it. To be clear of the crime of murder, it is not enough to refrain from shedding man's blood. If you do not, according to your own means and opportunity, study to defend his safety, by that inhumanity, you violate the law. So it's really important that we become involved. If people are in danger. Well, and I think that's what's, you know, very important about Christians. We can, we we need to get involved in societies. Uh, we need to be able to bring the gospel and kingdom message in society. If we just sit on the sidelines, then we can just grumble about what. What's happening? But if we're involved uh, in civic, and I, I love what we're doing in in the South Campus uh, with the um, with the ministry there to the people living in homelessness, uh, that's getting involved. That's actively working. It's uh, partnering with the city of Scottsdale uh, to do some good. Yeah, uh, messy work working with human beings is messy work. work working with uh, dogs and robots is easier, but. Uh... Human beings, you know, it, it, it takes time. 
One of the quotes, it wasn't in our notes uh, or in the study guide, but one thing um, that Steve referenced in his sermon that I thought was really powerful was um, he talked about Desmond Tutu. Yes, and um, the power of forgiveness. He said in that, his quote was, forgiving meanings, abandoning your right to pay back the perpetrator in his own coin. But it is a loss that liberates the victim. I just thought that was a very, not a reformed quote, but I thought that was the most powerful quote in the sermon. It's the power of the gospel. You know, God grants us mercy, mm -hmm. and we can be uh, like God, like Jesus, when we give mercy mm -hmm. and grace to others. Yeah. Very liberating. So we talked about how we should close this uh, section today, and you had a suggestion for how we should pray. Yeah, I thought we could pray for you know, thanking God for God's grace as we fail, and then uh, also give opportunity for anyone that may be listening to the podcast to ask God to uh, forgive them. Uh, so why don't we do that, Kirk? Let's pray. Your God of love and grace, we thank you for giving us moral guidance in the Ten Commandments. We thank you for this sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And we ask, God, that you would help us to keep that in our lives by not seeking the harm of others or of ourselves, to actively work for the good of every human being we encounter, no matter how young or no matter how old. And we, Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness whenever we fail. Lord, if there's anyone that's listening that would like your grace and forgiveness, Lord, speak to their hearts. And if this sounds like you, you're listening right now, that you would like God's grace and forgiveness in your life personally, I would encourage you to pray along, to repeat these words I am about to pray now, a short prayer to ask for God's grace and forgiveness. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I'm sorry about the wrong things I've done. I'm sorry for breaking your commandments. Forgive me. Come to me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you.